Mud Stories, Episode 28. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place but anxiety is one of these things that catches up with you. So it's, I mean, because anxiety is filled with like fears and worries and lies. And if you don't have that understanding of scripture, you're just going to like fall apart because you're going to start guessing and start coming up with these false realities. I started doing proactive counseling with a guy named Dr. John Townsend. And that was where we found, where I found true healing because you need to dive into that deep stuff where you cry, where it's awkward, where it's humiliating. Uh, and from that, I think, was really where I began to recognize the patterns and the pains and the things in my past that have turned me into the, the, the man I am today and how to reconcile some of those things and to reconnect my, my leadership and my love and my heart to how God intended me to be designed. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. I am so glad you're here. And today I'm talking with Dale Partridge, a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Sevenly.org, The Daily Positive, and most recently, StartupCamp.com. Dale has an amazing bio, and included in it, he has been described as a mind who understands the art of starting. And I don't know about you, but sometimes starting something is the hardest part of all. And in this episode, Dale is going to share with us not only strategies for starting and all the ways he started his entrepreneurial businesses over the years, but he's going to highlight the process that he's gone through of journeying and ongoing learning and knowledge as he proceeded his way through and beyond the startup. So Dale teaches startups and entrepreneurs, everyday dreamers, all how to form strong ideas, launch lucrative ventures, position their brand and love their people, and develop business models that offer freedom to their founders. Dale and his wife, Veronica, live with their daughter in Bend, Oregon, and he speaks all over the place as an expert on branding, consumer psychology, and startup strategy. He's been featured on so many various business publications, including Entrepreneur Magazine, NBC, MSN Money, and Forbes. And in this episode, more specifically, Dale and I discuss the beginnings of his early promising baseball career, all his entrepreneurial ventures and startups over the years, and this mud story of his which unfolded behind the scenes as the CEO and founder of Sevenly.org. And as you listen to him tell his story today, you're going to realize it was a muddy journey. It spun him into increasing worry, stress, insomnia, and anxiety. And then he goes on to share all the ways, tips, and helpful encouragements that he found as he made his way through the mud. As he shares what he learned along the way, it is my hope that his story will offer help to any of us who are struggling to try to balance it all in the face of so much mounting stress on all sides. And I know no matter what you do for your business or for your occupation, whether you stay at home with your kids or whether you are punching a clock at a nine to five job, or maybe you have a dream way inside your heart of becoming an entrepreneur someday, no matter what it is that you find yourself doing today as you hear Dale's words, I just know it will be so helpful to you. It was helpful to me. I found myself, even during the interview, being encouraged and yet challenged in some areas by Dale's story, his wisdom, and his expertise, all that he's learned along the way. And I am hoping it will do the same for you today. Enjoy. Hey, Dale, welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. 
Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Excited to you know hang out and have a conversation with you. Oh, well, I am so glad you're here, not only for your wisdom and expertise, but for your willingness to join us and transparently share the experience you've had through your mud. So thank you. Yeah, excited to tell you kind of the craziness that my life has been for the last five years. Well, so many times in life, it is our adversity that shapes us. And really, we have a great responsibility to choose to use it to better our lives. And as a serial entrepreneur and leader, you are no stranger to shouldering great responsibility and doing so with innovation and creativity, all while managing the stress of a business and employees on one end and your family life on the other. But often our lives don't begin with a huge amount of responsibility and stress. It often builds over time, which I'm guessing was the case for you. So in fact, I read that at one point prior to your entrepreneurial journey, you had a promising baseball career until something changed, some adversity hit you and launched you onto a new path. So tell us what happened, what began to shape the direction you ended up going and how did your entrepreneurial journey unfold? Yeah, you know, as a child, my whole life I played baseball and I I had this kind of experience that um, I don't think a lot of children had. Uh, I was left-handed, which was already a rare thing um, in itself, but when you're a left-handed baseball player, uh, it puts you in two spots. You can either play first base, uh, you can play right field, or you can pitch. <laughs> and um, and those those positions, I, I you know riddled my childhood until the world had made it known to me that I was a pitcher. And the pitcher is, their job is to ultimately lead the field. So at a very young age, I had this, you know, this leadership opportunity that I didn't even realize um, as I'm leading a team and controlling the game. And uh, I played, you know, as a pitcher all the way through farm and juniors and seniors and all the way into high school and played varsity as a freshman and then um, was throwing very fast at the, at a very young age. I was throwing about 83 miles an hour at 17 years old, which was very, wow. uh, very rare. And I'm only 5'9". So um, my height uh, was, I was pretty short to be a, um, a pitcher. Typically a pitcher is around six foot tall. Uh, the summer between high school into college, I was playing on a travel ball team, which is a wooden bat league, which is ultimately preparing you to go professional. And it was a, a really high caliber team. And we were actually playing in San Diego at the Travel Ball World Series. And I was pitching in the uh, seventh inning. And every time I pitched, there was you know 15 to 20 scouts standing behind the backstop. Every pitch, radar guns up, uh, pressure on. So uh, stressful. Oh. Yeah, notes after every pitch, defining ultimately the last 15 years of my life, if things are going to, you know, if things are going to work, you know, um, and I, uh, I threw a pitch and my left elbow, the bone on my, on, on your left elbow, if you looked at the crease of your elbow and go down on the inside, that little knob on your Mm -hmm. elbow popped off. Oh my goodness. And, um, my arm instantly swelled up and, uh, my baseball career at that moment was over. I mean, no, no scout would say, Hey, let's sign him. He'll be great. <laughs> um, hey, after rehab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is a huge challenge for me and, uh, really spawned me off into the beginning of my entrepreneurial, uh, life to, to ultimately f- figure out why I, I broke and to kind of start a new journey. Wow. Well, you must have had that leadership entrepreneurial spirit inside because not all people would choose to see, the silver lining in the tragedy, you know? And so how was it that you were able to come to terms with the loss and yet move forward? What circumstances propelled you into beginning a socially conscious e-commerce site like Sevenly? Yeah. So, you know, after that experience, um, you know, like I said, I wanted to fix, figure out why I broke. So I started a fitness company and then I grew that company quickly. And I, I understood that I was maybe entrepreneurial and I, I didn't know that I was an entrepreneur. I, I kind of recognize now that I was very much groomed to be an entrepreneur from my father, from, uh, from baseball. I was a leader as a child and, and I, you know, my childhood had been riddled with, you know, selling lemonade to, you know, selling candy at school and all the different things that happened <laughs> yes. there. And um, 
I uh, started a fitness company and then I sold that company, which was a, a really crazy experience. I sold it for $50,000 to uh, another couple that wanted to take over my business. I invested that money into the stock market, learned how to play stocks. I invested in a company we all know of called Chipotle. Yes. Uh, it IPO'd in 2006 and I made a, a good chunk of money on that um, that investment, which was, again, a, a huge like my first investment worked. I did lose a lot of money on solar stocks. Um, <laughs> and then um, I, from there, started a conference company and I wrote a book and I got married and then I started an advertising agency and all these different businesses that really, I think, built me uh, into the entrepreneur I am today. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it got me my 10,000 hours um, and, you know, of mass of mastery that, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about. Yes. I, um, from there, uh, out of the out of the advertising agency, I started a company because I ultimately wanted to figure out how I could blend purpose and profit. What did it look like to flip capitalism upside down? And what would it look like to, you know, not just make six figures, but to actually give six figures? And what did that look like at, at the core and tactically and strategically? And I, I thought of an idea that, you know, we would partner with a new charity and we would sell e-commerce products like shirts and hats and beanies. And, mm-hmm. and every week we would have this this new campaign for seven days. And every time we sold a product, we give $7 to this charity. Uh, we ended up naming it Sevenly. We launched the company in 2011. Uh, the company grew from um, zero to about 50 employees and almost, you know, $8 million in, in revenue per year. Uh, you know, my payroll was $250,000 every two weeks. Um, it, you know, it was a rocket ship of a startup. Crazy. Um, it was a great experience in terms of, you know, everything that, that had happened. I learned so much about business. We got to give away millions of dollars in $7 donations to charities and save lives and help people around the world and, and you know, fund adoptions and rescue girls from sex trafficking and, and feed thousands of thousands of, of families and kids and give water to, you know, people. And mm. it, it was it was incredible. Incredible. But on the other side, it was extremely stressful. So personally, there was a toll you were paying in the midst of all this giving and success and just the crazy rapid pace at which everything was growing. Yeah. So in 2011, we started, uh, that was a great year. Um, 2012 was the beginning of insanity. And I think that what I've learned as a leader is that companies and organizations can grow faster than people. Mm -hmm. uh, So that you know, you can read as many books as you want, but you ultimately still need time. And um, I found out that I'm really good at starting. I'm, I'm okay at sustaining and I'm horrible at finishing. <laughs> um, so this oh. was, a, this was a, a, a moment of, of harsh, you know, someone sticks a mirror in your face and says, these are the things you're good at and these are the things you're not good at. And the impact of your decisions at this point, you know, impact employees that are 10 years older than me and that have mm-hmm. four kids and a mortgage and right. you know my decisions affect these as well as like the giving that we're doing so I'm a creative entrepreneur and I realized that ultimately I, I, I'm great at starting things I'm not great uh, at starting I don't like big things anymore I, I don't like the idea <laughs> of lots and lots of employees mm. um, and it was about uh, end of 2012 I was driving home and my wife in the car, um, and I was kind of venting the stress off to her, and she started breathing heavily and uh, was stressing out. And and told me we're on the freeway, on the 91 freeway in Southern California. She said, "Pull over, pull over, pull over." And I thought, mm. "Oh my God, what's wrong?" You know. And mm. I had uh, had a history of panic attacks and anxiety uh, and depression and some of the things. So I kind of guessed that maybe she was having a panic attack. We pulled over. She like was almost like limp, like almost fell over into the center console of the car. Mm-hmm. And um, luckily, I had an Ativan, which is what I carry with me as um, uh, an anti-anxiety panic attack uh, drug that I would carry in my wallet and would maybe use maybe once a year if I was having some crazy panic attack. I gave it to her, and she she calmed down over about fifteen twenty minutes, and mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of a really really hard. 10 months of our life. So you recognize the anxiety and panic in her because you had experienced it in your own life. Yeah. And, and well, what, what it also did is that it spawned. So like, um, 
uh, panic is contagious, stress is contagious, and calmness is contagious. Um, so seeing my wife go through this really intense anxiety had put me over the edge as well. I had be, begun already feeling the the effects of stress catching up with me. And in my history, uh, there's some triggers. And the triggers are uh, I start losing sleep. Um, and if I start not sleeping, it, then it starts to become like a domino effect in my life uh, where I'll start um, I'll start having anxiety during the day. My stomach will start uh, churning to the point where you know I can't eat much, and uh, you know I go to the bathroom way too much. I I have acid reflux that flares up and gets in my throat, and I can't breathe well. Um, I'll, my you know this this particular story that I'll get into uh, pushed me to the point where my body started twitching, mm-hmm. um, and you know I'm talking like two three thousand times a day. Um, Wow. Well, take us back a little bit, though. You know, the company's growing rapidly, almost more rapidly, you describe, than you can really keep up with internally. And so the stress is mounting. You're responsible for a lot of people. You're responsible for a lot of nonprofit organizations that are depending on your charity. Can you pinpoint a place where the stress really began or was it gradual over time until it manifested itself and exposed itself in a moment? Yeah, I am. You know, at the time, the stress started to get bigger and bigger, and and I've learned now that um, there was a lot of things in my past that I w- that have caused a lot of this. You know, the mm-hmm. way that I was thinking, mm-hmm. the way that I was acting, um, and the anxiety started getting so intense, mostly due to the pressure. Yeah, um, and I had to, I had this feeling of like I was controlling the whole world. Yeah. And I needed to let go. I mean, I ultimately needed to realize there's a book that's written called The World is Not Ours to Save. Um, and it's a really good book, kind of outlined that, you know, this idea of charity and this idea, you know, that ultimately God's in control and it's his mission and he's using his people and that he's using us, but it's not our job to save it. Right. Um, and that kind of gave me a little bit of peace. But what had happened is is the anxiety started getting so... Um, uh, so often, um, that I was beginning to have these panic attacks and I got to the point where I couldn't actually go to work anymore. And I started working from home and I didn't want to drive and the stress of say, uh, you know, driving on the 91 freeway, which, you know, Oh, I so know it's horrible. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Horrible. And and I didn't have any of this peace. So my wife and I, you know, we made the decision to not get on any, medication, but we were both going through this at the same time. So the pressure had been mounting up. Uh, you know, I had still daily responsibilities. Luckily I had an incredible team at the time. Well, that's what uh, I was going to ask you. What did your daily life look like at this point? I mean, you you mentioned you're at home. You don't really want to go into the office, but you have to. So in a practical sense, what were you facing hour to hour? Yeah. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and I would, I would really still hammer out some of my emails and spend time resting. I was trying to depressurize and Mm -hmm. and to reduce some of the things that I was responsible for. And I feel like, you know, this was even healthy at, at, at some point anyways, because I was just trying to control so much. I'm an entrepreneur that, that is very, uh, intentional about how the company should look, feel, Mm -hmm. act. Um, and I realized that I, I just needed to, to, delegate. And uh, I started handing things off to my COO and I started handing things off to my director of project management and to my CFO. And, and they, they ran the company for, um, for, you know, a few months, just really kind of kept this thing going. I would go into the, to the office about once a week uh, to stay up on those, on those duties and tasks Mm -hmm. on days that I felt, felt good. Um, But anxiety is one of these things that catches up with you. So it's, you can push yourself to the limit, but you're not going to feel the effects of that push for, you know, five, six weeks after. And then right. once, you, once you start feeling the effects, that's just the beginning of the wave. And it's going to, it's going to carry through for weeks until you depressurize and it's caught up with itself again. And so you can't just say, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not sleeping now, uh, or I'm having panic attacks. I'm just going to like take a couple days off and it's going to all be fine. Right. Um, this is like, it, it takes a long time. Sometimes, sometimes months, sometimes even years for this process to kind of simmer down. Which is where a lot of people lose hope because they have false expectations or unrealistic expectations of how it's going to be resolved. 
and they can't stop because right. I, mean, I, I had the luxury of owning my own company. Right. So I could stop. Um, I could uh, walk away and still get a paycheck. Right. Um, you know, there's not that many like you, you can't necessarily take disability leave and get all that stuff organized and all these things especially in your 20s. This is such a weird thing. Mm -hmm. So um, what people do is they medicate. Right. Um, and they, they, the medications, in, in my opinion, uh, there, are a, there is a very fine line for this to occur. But if we look back in history, if we look back about how God designed the human mind, um, we have been able to make it for thousands of years without medication. Right. Um, but what we do is we stop. And if that means you have to quit your job, if that means that you have to take a leave of absence, if that means that you have to change your life in drastic, dramatic ways, uh, you have to do that. Instead of saying, hey, I'm going to take Ambien, hey, I'm going to take, um, you know, Paxil or whatever, you know, um, Prozac, whatever these things are, I know that sounds like a hard thing to a lot of people. They say, oh my God, I have kids and I have bills and I have all these things. But if you don't stop it now... Um, the medication, I mean, it changes your, it changes a lot of the way your mind works. Uh, Ativan was something that I used um, in my past because I'd only take it a few times a year um, mm. when I needed it. And um, have faith in ultimately how God designed us that, you know, he designed a perfect body. And ultimately the, the world that we live in and, and the stress that we put ourselves under is creates these, these brokenness pieces in our physiology and our biology that cause these issues. Um, right. And I think sometimes there is, speaking from the point of view of a nurse, I will say, um, I think there are some physiological moments that we need to get patched through with some medication. You know, you're talking about how it does change our brain physiology and a lot of the antidepressants do work that way. And for a lot of people, they do need that as a bridge to get them, you know, sure. with lifestyle change as well to get them over that that rough spot. But I think what you're saying is long term, it's not a viable solution. Medicating ourselves is not going to work unendingly. Yeah. And medication isn't healing. Right. It's patching. Yes. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's treating the symptoms. Right. Um, so, and our medical system is so great at doing that and not great at healing people. Right. Well, and it has to do with our diets too. I mean, what we put in our body as fuel is so important too. Yes. Yeah. What we eat, how we mm -hmm. sleep, what, what we, you know, and, and I think that yeah. this is a big decision. So what my, why my wife and I did, we said, Hey, we need to figure out how do we, how do we change our life? So we, um, we sold our house in Corona. Okay. So you decided I have to take this situation into our own hands and we have to make some very difficult but strategic decisions to get better. Yes. Okay. So you sold your house. Sold our house in, uh, in Corona, uh, which is a mess of freeways, which you know. Yes, um, I do. <laughs> we, uh, we bought a house in uh, Lake Arrowhead, California, which is about an hour and a half from LA and Orange County where my office was. So we, we went up there and started spending a lot of time. Um, I would actually come down to the office two times a week, and then I would stay up there for five days a week. And the decompression of the quiet and the mm, woods uh, was really important. There. Um, and this is a big change for, for our life. Um, my wife uh, quit her job at the time, and uh, you know we, we decreased our expenses and paid off as much debt as we could and made financial decisions to change that for her. And, you know, I started laying down new expectations for my, you know, for my uh, investors and board members and staff that I needed to slow down. And, and that's the big thing. It's just managing the expectations in these changes uh, that will ultimately help you through this. I, we also started seeking counseling. So uh, my wife and I uh, went and each saw a counselor once a week for about 12 weeks to help figure out what was causing this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was the, what was the fear or the concern or the weight behind all of it? Right. Um, I mean, my wife got to the point where she was, you know, feeling almost suicidal and I was sitting there in the middle of fighting a panic attack, trying to help her talk her through reasons to live tomorrow. I mean, yeah. it was, oh, it was a really heavy, so heavy hard. season. Mm. Um, and we didn't have our, our daughter at the time. So this was, this was a, uh, an experience that brought us a lot closer and mm -hmm. taught us a lot about ourselves. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, we made it out. 
it, but it was um, it was what we did next that was really important for that not to uh, return. So after after this whole story, I mean, I actually said, okay, that was horrible. Uh, it changed the trajectory of my life in a negative way. Um, it, it brought me closer to God and made me stronger in positive ways. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we don't want this to happen again. And this was not a good thing. Uh, there are, there are the, the silver linings. Right. Um, but, you know, let's not uh, get into shame thinking where we go, oh, that, that, was, that horrible thing was so good for us. Like, sure, we learned a lot <laughs> out of it. But it wasn't good. But it was horrible. Uh, yes. It was horrible. And we don't want to do that again. Right. Um, so what we did is we we made some big changes. Um, in October 2013, I decided to step down as CEO at Sevenly, uh, which was a hard hmm. decision. I mean, I was heartbroken. I mean, Sevenly was my baby uh, in many ways. Uh, you know, I grew this this company and, and, and everybody that knew Sevenly knew me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the, you know, if Sevenly fell apart, they're not calling my COO. They're calling Dale Partridge saying right. what happened. Um, it was an extension of you. It was. Yeah. And, and um, we decided to do this to transition our life. We loved living in the woods. We loved the simplicity. We loved the peace that we were gaining from that and the healing and finding true joy in life. So we decided to um, to do that. I ended up exiting Sevenly fully uh, as an employee in April. Um, and I actually now sold my stock, but uh, but a few percent uh, in the company. My wife and I moved to Bend, Oregon, which is a place that we had always desired to live, which is a slower pace of life. Uh, we just bought a seven-acre farm that we're building um, to create this, again, uh, life for family and um, and, and, and all of this literally is in a vision of protection from, uh, who we are at our weakest points. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's setting up, I, I want to say it's actually, it's setting up a healthy environment for us and not to say that the farm is going to heal us. Uh, sure. Right, there's, parts of of that, there's parts of that that will, but you know, ultimately this, this is the things that help us frame perspective that we need. Um, I'm a kind of guy that likes to go, 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 go. And having this farm that is the direct opposite that slows me down is really the balance that I, a guy like me needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really hard. I mean, getting, moving here and making these changes and being married and having a baby and mm-hmm. selling a company. I mean, it was insanely hard. This year was probably the hardest year of my life on top of, you know, trying to, not have one of these panic seasons again. Right. Well, change brings, you know, uh, uncertainty and we don't always know what's ahead. And that is the um, scary part, but it's also the exciting part because something new awaits you. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing that that I did that I would recommend to just anybody um, is I I did proactive counseling. So at this point I thought, okay, everything's getting back to balance. Um, I feel healthier. I I know more truth about God and who he is and how, how this will help define, um, me in moments of lies. I mean, because anxiety is filled with like fears and worries and lies. And if you don't have that understanding of scripture, you're just going to like fall apart because you're going to start guessing and start coming up with these Mm -hmm. false realities. I started doing proactive counseling with a guy named Dr. John Townsend, who's written 20 something books. He wrote the book boundaries that most people know. Yes. Um, and, uh, he offers a course that, uh, it was a thousand dollars a month and I would go to his house for eight hours a day, um, one day a week and then have a phone call with him later that month and with about 10 other high performance leaders. And this is really expensive. I mean, sure. My company was making great money. Uh, and just because we're making millions of dollars a year does not mean that I was making millions of dollars a year. <laughs> um, you know, my, my salary was about a hundred grand a year and, um, you know, we had our expenses and we had some of our debts at the time and we, um, uh, we decided to make that investment. So that was a lot for you. That was a lot. And that was where I found true healing because you need to dive into that deep stuff mm-hmm. where you cry, where it's awkward, right. where it's humiliating. Right. And, and someone to ask the hard questions and say, dude, you have a giant booger on your face that you need to fix. You know? <laughs> and yes. it was, it's so needed yes. um, for that accountability. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and from that, I think was really where I began to recognize the patterns and the pains and the things in my past that have turned me into the, the, the man I am today and how to reconcile some of those things and to reconnect my, my leadership and my love and my heart to how God intended me to be designed. Well, it's interesting you talk about that. I'm, I'm hearing you reflect on the fact that that experience, the intensive counseling with Dr. John Townsend, really helped you see not only issues from your past that had played into contributing to the anxiety and stress triggers that you experienced, but also your journey reflecting in your faith. Can you speak a little bit to how your faith in God and turning to the truths of the Bible really helped in your recovery process? Yeah. I mean, um, there's, there's a few moments in this experience that, um, I had to like revert back to scripture, you know? Yeah. In Matthew six twenty five thirty four, 34, it, it talks about, you know, uh, worry and, you know, it talks about the idea that, you know, what can worrying do to add a single hour to your life? You know, uh, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow. Worry about itself. Mm-hmm. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And, you know, understanding who God was was a huge component. And I also had some moments. Um, my big str- struggle with anxiety begins with insomnia, as I said. Mm. And when you don't sleep, you start going, you get re- really weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is, this is, uh, exactly how God designed it. You know, you need sleep. And I, uh, was praying one day, literally on my knees, like begging God for an answer because I hadn't slept, but maybe two, three hours a night for like 12, 13 nights in a row. Mm. And, um, I was trying to not take sleep meds and, and to try to heal. And I didn't know what was happening. I felt all this guilt and shame and I didn't know what was going on. And I prayed, I said, Lord, like, tell me, I need an answer from you. Like, I need it. Like, give me an answer for it. <laughs> and um, and I, I opened up the scriptures about 30 seconds later to a scripture called Psalms 4 that I've never read in my entire life. I typically, like, the Psalms are just overwhelm me sometimes. And it's called the sleeper Psalm. And it's, it's ultimately the, one of the, one of the only of like one of three places in the scriptures that really speak directly to sleep and insomnia. And, um, that was a really good experience for me to feel out. And, uh, and it just talks about not, it it was David ultimately worrying about people trying to kill him and have all the anxieties Mm -hmm. of running a kingdom and, and, um, and to, to lay down at night and rest and sleep and, and God will take care of us. So there's moments like this that are riddled through the story uh, that I just leaned in. And, yeah. um, and it really did strengthen my faith uh, through this time. Yeah. Did you discover any habits or any practices that you began to implement that really helped in your healing process? Yeah. Every time I would work past... 10 PM, um, I wouldn't sleep. Mm. Um, and it's so stupid. I, I did this like four nights ago. Okay. So like, I still struggle with this. It's always such a dilemma for us night people. I don't know if you're a morning person or a night person, maybe you've become a morning person because you're an entrepreneur, but, <laughs> but you know, if you're naturally wired to be up at night and not morning, it's really hard to reverse that or vice it versa, is. you know, and yet it's important. Our sleep is so important. Yeah. You know, and you know, again, like I'm a purist. So at the, at the core, <laughs> I like to, I like to figure out how I can get back to a more truthful existence, you know, how God intended the body to work. Right. And I, I, you know, I look at things like your circadian rhythm and, and that ultimately when it gets dark, it's time for bed. And when it gets light, it's time for getting up. I'm not a morning person. Um, I'm not a night person either. Um, but I, there are moments where, you know, you're staring at a computer screen that just keeps your brain up. Right. Um, that, you know, every time I work past 10 PM, I, there's this thing in my mind that says, Oh, you're going to get, you're getting so much work done. Everybody's asleep and you're getting, you know, you're, this hour is so important for you to get this work done. And really it's a lie because the next day I don't sleep and then I lose the entire day's productivity. Right. right. Um, because you're sleep deprived. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that's one thing. And then, 
the other thing is, you know, you, you get the super Christians that say you need to read scriptures every day. And sure, you do need to read scriptures every day. But <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that, to be honest, like I read scriptures a few times a week and um, it's hard for me to get in there every day. But during this time, I got in there every day. Um, I needed to be in there every day. Yeah. Um, and I started waking up and spending the first 10 minutes just reading scripture, praying, stretching, uh, and then getting into to my work routine. I actually stopped working at 6 p.m. Uh, during this time, uh, and I would just relax at night. It was a really cool time, actually, mm. in, that, in that healing moment. Um, and, and I know that that's a solution for me as I, as I get closer to the edge, you're always battling, kind of dipping back into these. Absolutely. It's a lifetime journey. Yeah. There is no end, you know, it's just a process. And I I like what you said in the honesty that you shared about, you know, reading our Bible. It is, I think there's a lot of people who believe in God, who really want to connect with the truths of what scripture has to say. And yet it's sometimes tempting to feel guilty that, oh, I didn't read that today, or I didn't get focused on, you know, those truths that are bigger than me. And yet sometimes, you know, if we can just grab one verse, maybe it's one verse a day, one verse a week, and just say, okay, you know, maybe it's a verse like Philippians 4, where it says, do not worry or be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Okay, so there you go for the week. You're not going to worry when you worry. You're going to talk to God about it. And then you're going to ask him for what you need. And then you're going to give thanks for what he already did. And he promises to give us peace. So there you go. One verse for the week and you're good to go. And and I think we make it too complicated. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I, I actually was writing down like on the mirror in my bathroom, like, you know, like worrying is a sin. Like God doesn't want us to do it. Like I'm actually disobeying him right. as I worry. And that helped me realize like, okay, like this is actually wrong. Like I'm actually doing something wrong right now. Um, like, let's not do that, Dale. Right. And, um, you know, and, and what I found out, like, even through the towns and stuff, and a lot of people, I think, struggle with this. There's a book called Daring Greatly that talks about shame and guilt and um, and distortion is is I had so much shame uh, because I couldn't accept God's grace. Like, I couldn't accept that God wanted Dale, the guy that was, like, the worst person ever. And I think Paul probably struggled with this as well. I mean, he's Absolutely. a murderer of Christians. Yep. That what I actually was doing in, in a lot of my stuff is that I was I was actually like self um, destructing. Um, I was actually self sabotaging. Mm-hmm. I was actually causing pain in my own life as a form of punishment, right? So that I felt like I earned my right to be loved by God, right? Oh, which is such a trap. Which yep. is such a trap. And, such a and trap. So if if you're out there and you're thinking about that kind of stuff, I mean, sometimes we like we don't commit to a, 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 you know, a perfect person to get married to, because, you know, at the end of the day, you're actually self sabotaging mm-hmm. because you don't think that you're worthy of this person. Because if that happened, that means that life would be too good and you are not worthy of too good. Right. But a you lot know? of that, you know, don't you think that's a lot of self-reflective work that you've come to realize by, you know, really digging deep in those moments where you're having, you know, crying sessions or realize somebody's pointing it out to you. You know, sometimes yeah. we need someone outside of ourselves and sometimes we need scripture can be the thing that's outside of ourselves. But I think you're right. It's such a trap for so many people. And it was a trap for me, too. I think when we worry or when we don't accept good things, we um, at the core of it feel that we feel that we're not enough to accept God's love, Yes, you know, and his grace isn't good enough to cover what I've done. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and, and, and my opinion is that there's, you know, the church was originally intended to help with this. I mean, we, we, we have counselors, which, which are important and those are, you know, um, are important roles, but the church, I mean, right now is, is sometimes that these churches are so big that they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're a thousand inches wide and one inch deep. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we, what, what the church is intended to be was, you know, 10 inches wide and 12 feet deep. Right. And um, we need this connection and, and accountability and transparency. And it's really mm-hmm. hard to have with 900 people. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we have these small groups and the big thing I would suggest to people that are meeting in groups and meeting is that, is that you don't always need an agenda. You don't always need, um, you know, a book to go through, like let the spirit lead the session, let them like, like let, let God come in and just like 
bring out and be very vulnerable with people because mm-hmm. um, this is this is what people need to heal uh, is to have these conversations. Absolutely. And to let people know. Yep. And it is that vulnerability and confession to another. You know, James 5 talks about if we confess our sins or our adversities, our struggles to one another, that we actually can be healed. That's right. And, and uh, I think in your story, I can hear how you really did have that pivotal point of deciding to open up and be vulnerable and trust someone, whether it was a therapist or an intensive counseling situation, or really just connecting more deeply with, you know, friends and family in your inner circle. It really makes such a difference. Absolutely. I mean, vulnerability is so hard because it, it shows how ugly you are. Right. Um, so what would you say to that person who's too scared and afraid? Like I'm going to get rejected if I share my struggle, you know, the, the other side of vulnerability is worse than vulnerability. (laughs) So so, (laughs) so the, the, the other side of not sharing is actually worse because you die with this, like this, this life and this deep regret and Mm -hmm. this lack of meaning and connection and, and that you never surpassed some of the biggest things and obstacles in your life because you were too afraid to share. Well, and it it accelerates your, you know, shame, anxiety, worry, all of that because you're not known. And that's, that's changing every, you know, definition of what God has intended for our life. Connection is everything the church was meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dale, it's been such a delight talking to you today. I just, your journey you've been through is, I'm sure, not uncommon to so many. And the fact that you'd be willing to come and talk about it, I think it's going to just be a great help to a lot of people. So um, you also have some things happening in your business, in your life. You want to tell everybody a little bit about what's currently going on with you, uh, but a little bit about your family and where we can find you online. So I, I launched a company called startupcamp.com that, you know, ultimately I, I realized that people who hated their life often was caused because they hated their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't necessarily chase their dreams, not because they can't, but because they just don't know how. Don't know how. Yep. And, um, you know, they have a, a business idea or they have a blog idea or they want to start making some money on the side or they want to start a charity or they want to plant a church or they want to you know, do all these things that, that the education system that we were brought up in Mm -hmm. did not support. Um, we were built to be employees. Uh, we were not built to be entrepreneurs and I'm not saying that college or I'm not saying that education is bad. I'm saying college is not necessarily the answer anymore to some of these problems. Right. Uh, And and sometimes these great ideas feel so big. You just don't know where to start. Exactly. And um, so Startup Camp is a 12-month course that walks people through uh, every step it takes to start, launch your company, and make it thrive. Um, you know, it's a video course and it's fun. And, um, you know, uh, my wife and I have, you know, uh, talked a lot about it and just really figured out that how do you balance a family and, and how do you, how do you be, go- be a good leader? And, and how do you create a company that, that gives you geographic independence? You can live anywhere you want. Right. And, and you can make decent money and have no debt. I mean, all the things that I think God intended for our lives, I'm trying to package up into a really cool, clean entrepreneurial course. Love it. Love it. Well, you also have a book that we'll be releasing later this year called People Over Profit. Yes. So Yes. And as a serial entrepreneur, you have certainly seen your fair share of profit and yet come to hold that people are so much more important. So what lessons can we learn and what parameters can we employ to ensure that in our businesses or our daily work or even in our family lives that people really are more important than profit? Yeah, I think that a lot of companies start looking at people as if they're parts instead of humans. And they, they think that they're just a part of a big machine. Uh, through my experience with Sevenly and some of the things that I've done before that, my rock climbing gym, my you know my conference company, my advertising agency, <laughs> all these different things, um, I've learned that if you value people over profit, you'll actually be more profitable. Um, and when you look at that, is that that makes so much sense? But yet we still don't get it. And and what I've learned is that we are still struggling. Uh, as CEOs of giant companies making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, we are still looking in Harvard Business Review for the latest strategy and 
tactic while we still struggle with the issues that our parents taught us in kindergarten right. to not lie, to not um, hide things, to, uh, you know, to be generous and to share. And, and there's all these things that we still struggle with at the core. Mm-hmm. So I, I brought it back to very simple terms and saying, this is how you actually can value people. And, and, and in turn, it'll make your company or you more successful. Um, I talk about how to buy, you know, how to buy uh, as a consumer, you know, people over profit, how to act as a leader, people over profit, and how to start as an entrepreneur, how to be people over profit. So it's, um, it's a fun book. It's super short. It's 32,000 words, which is about half the size of a regular business book. Um, it's, it's got lots of graphics in it, so it keeps the book still at about 250 pages. Nice. Um, it's just fun. It's a fun read. It's, um, and you know, I think that, I think it's going to change if, if CEOs grasp this, I mean, it's going to change people's lives and that's, that's ultimately the goal that I'm going for. That's the goal we all desire, right? To use our work to change people's lives. Absolutely. Yep. Well, awesome. Where can we find you online? Uh, at Dale Partridge on Twitter and Instagram and and Facebook uh, and Pinterest. Um, I pretty much locked down those URLs. Pinterest. You're a Pinterest guy. I am. I actually have like 700,000 followers on Pinterest. Nice. Um, So I've been like pinning there since the very beginning. And um, I'm a creative. So this was like a a solution for me. It's a natural. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) become like core to my business too. So um, yeah, you can definitely find me there. Awesome. Well, any closing comments you want for to encourage or inspire us as we go on our way? Yeah. I mean, spend time searching for trusted uh, communities that you give permission to, to keep you accountable, to be vulnerable um, and to, you know, connect with on a deeper level, make real friendships that are going to last 20 years. Don't just spend time hopping from friendship to friendship. Mm. And when you get in a fight, you break up. I mean, just, yeah live and lean into that. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for joining us. I so appreciate you sharing. Have an awesome, have an awesome day. Thanks for having me, Jackie. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for this episode. And as usual, you can find the show notes and the links to everything Dale mentioned over at mudstories.com or at jackiewatkins.com forward slash episode 28. And hey, don't forget, you can now get the Mud Stories podcast app for free. Just go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash Apple app if you have an Apple device or JackieWatkins.com forward slash Android app. And you can have that on any mobile device you own, making it more easy and convenient for you to be encouraged and find hope from listening to this podcast. Also, don't forget you can receive a free audiobook today if you sign up for a 30-day free trial over at mudstoriesbook.com and you can cancel that free trial at any time with no cost to you. And so that's just a small way you can help out the Mud Stories podcast and support me here and I would so appreciate it if you would do that. And hey, by the way, I would love to hear from you. Do you know someone with a mud story who I need to talk with? Maybe there's a favorite author or leader that you'd like to hear share here. Or maybe you have a suggestion or some feedback you want to offer. You can always send me an email, Jackie at JackieWatkins.com. You can leave me a voicemail message from the sidebar of my website. Or you can leave a comment on the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 28. I would love to hear from you. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you for you to know that no matter what, there is always hope. And I know for me, I will be focusing, just like Dale said, I'm going to be focusing more than ever this year on investing in community with vulnerability. And, you know, let's not any of us do life alone. And I know it can be scary to put ourselves out there and we feel like maybe we might get rejected or... You know, we're not going to find that deep community if we put ourselves out there. But like Dale said, we really were made by God for connection and accountability and transparency. And we, I think, will find ourselves thriving more and more if we slow down and take time in our lives to invest in authentic 
community together. And so may we all find that this year and give much thanks to God for it. And so today, no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, may we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. Never in you ever feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame and I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never any mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you song